Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. Okay, today is one of those really special episodes where I have a Panic to Peace student with me, and her name is Scarlett, and of course you're going to get to meet her, and I'm just really excited because we're going to be talking about something that I haven't yet talked about on the podcast, which is emetophobia. So Scarlett, welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this conversation. This is such a you know, specific phobia, but like we were just talking before I hit record, it's so intertwined with anxiety and panic and there's just so much to it. Like if you're not aware, right, I'm assuming you are aware that you hit play on this episode, you know that emetophobia is the fear of vomiting, but there's so much more to this fear. So let's just start with who are you, Scarlett? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, Well, I'm from North Carolina, and I am a professional writer. I just finished my master's degree, and I'm in the process of applying to PhD programs with the intention of starting my doctorate this fall. Um, This is a really big step forward for me because I've struggled with agoraphobia and very severe panic disorder for about the past three years. So I'm very much at the point in my panic journey of experiencing the world again, going outside and um, challenging myself um, and at the point where I can start pursuing my dreams again. I've always wanted to get my doctorate. So um, that's kind of where I am. Um, And I'm really excited to be here to talk about um, panic disorder and emotophobia in particular, because I know a lot of people struggle with it, but it can feel very shameful and very difficult to talk about. So I thought that sharing my story would help other people feel um, like they're not alone and, um, you know. Yeah, I love it. And this is such, like you said, right, this can be a really embarrassing, shameful thing to talk about. And I'm just so dang proud of you for coming on because you're coming on with the mindset, right, of I know this is going to help other people because there are so many people out there struggling with this. But People just don't talk about it. They don't share it because it can be embarrassing and can carry a lot of shame. So I'm so glad that we're going to have this conversation. So I'm curious. I know you struggle with, you know, panic, anxiety, emetophobia, and it's sort of all intertwined. When did you really start to like notice it all popping up? Um, before so i've always struggled with panic disorder a little bit and and a lot of like this is a topic for an entirely different podcast but a lot of um living in the south one of the biggest challenges is like healthcare access is not accessible um and mental health care in particular is not accessible whatsoever it is in like the more urban areas but when you live in like a rural area like um you know you have to drive two hours just to see like a therapist or get diagnosed so um, a lot of what I struggled, like I struggled so much with panic disorder because I just didn't have access to any mental health care resources. Um, but I really, 
I've had panic attacks since uh, I was like 16 was when I started getting them. Um, and, but it was always something that I could deal with. Uh, before the pandemic, that's kind of where it got to the point where I couldn't function anymore because my panic was so bad. And it, it's gone untreated for like 10 years. I'm self-diagnosed myself by like going on the internet. Um, so about three years ago, I finally like went to see a psychiatrist and got officially diagnosed. Um, but I noticed it because I used to kind of live like a rock and roll lifestyle. I'm a musician and a drummer, and I went to trade school and became a heavy equipment operator. So I was working in construction, and then at night I would go play shows. So I played as a drummer in a bunch of different bands. Um, on the weekends, I would go tour. Um, during like the off seasons, I would travel and play shows in cities like Atlanta and New York. Um, and then during the week, I, I operated big, terrifying machines. You know, I was a truck scraper operator. Um, I worked in landscaping some and I operated things like, you know, excavators and whatever. Um, and during this period, I went from like having manageable anxiety where it almost having anxiety helped me because it gave me energy to like, it was so unmanageable. I became um, like totally dysfunctional and I, I couldn't leave my room anymore. Um, work became scary because I would be like in a truck scraper, which is a huge machine and it's a very dangerous machine. And I start having panic so bad that I, um, I couldn't focus, I couldn't see. Um, so I ended up quitting my job because I feared that I would be a danger to other people. Um, and I like lost everything, I lost my apartment, I had to move back in with my parents and um, and I became like very, very agoraphobic. I didn't leave my room for about six months. And this was also during the pandemic on top of all of that. Wow. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of my panic story. And metaphobia comes into it um, from like the kind of panic attacks I have. I, I have a couple different phobias, but emetophobia is the biggest one I struggle with. Um, and there's like a difference. I hear people use the term emetophobia very loosely sometimes, like, oh, I'm emetophobic, I'm afraid of vomiting. But there's a difference between like just you know, not like vomiting because who does? And then yeah. having phobia to the point where it's disrupting your life. Um, like I had it to the point where I stopped eating because I was afraid that everything I ate um, would cause food poisoning or cause me to vomit. And that also mm -hmm. affected my ability to work. Um, and uh, I would like, and I still working through this, but I, I live on like a very, very restricted diet I don't have any allergies, but like I won't eat anything that could make me feel sick, like dairy products or um, I cut out gluten, even though I don't have celiac disease or a gluten allergy. So that's still something I'm working on. Um, emetophobia can cause you to like restrict foods because you're afraid that they're going to make you sick. Um, and then it also feeds into your panic disorder um, where when I had panic attacks, like in the machinery when I was at work, I would my panic attacks make me nauseous because that's a common um, symptom of a panic attack. So when I got nauseous, then I was afraid I would vomit and then my emetophobia would kick in and then I'd have another panic attack about vomiting. So then you're stuck in the cycle and then you just keep 
triggering new panic attacks. So a panic attack is only supposed to last like 20 minutes, but when you keep triggering yourself, <laughs> they don't stop. So like I would go through, I would have panic attacks until my body exhausted uh, all of its adrenaline. And then I would like crash and you can't live this way. Like you're either constantly having a panic attack, like 20 minutes and then it calm down for a little bit and then it's start over you're just stuck in the cycle of like my panic is causing emetophobia and my emetophobia is causing panic and then you keep going like that and I could keep going for 18 to 20 hours like that and then I would crash and I couldn't get out of bed and so like being stuck in the cycle eventually like I, I had to quit my job because I couldn't work and that eventually changed my life um, you know I'm in a completely different career and I miss working in construction and I liked that lifestyle, though it wasn't as sustainable as what I'm doing now. Um, and I'm very happy that I discovered myself as a professional writer and went to graduate school and um, I'm on this new career path and, you know, everything worked out, but I'm sad that it happened because of, of panic, you know? Yeah. Oh, of course. I, I'm so glad that you touched on this. Like, the panic attacks make you nauseous, right? And then the feeling of being nauseous triggers more anxiety. Yeah. I I know so many people can relate to that. I had that with my whole toilet anxiety. Like, and then you you're right, you just get stuck in this loop of like, oh my gosh, I have these feelings, and then you think more about it, and then you have more feelings, and then the, like you can't get off of this hamster wheel. Yeah. I'm curious, with the emetophobia, was there like – do you remember there being like a certain event or a certain thing that sort of started it or it was just like this slow – like when you'd have the panic and you'd feel nauseous, it would it would trigger all of this? Um, it, it started where the first time I had a panic attack was when I was like 16 years old. I grew up as a dancer and I got a job teaching dance at a studio. Um, and my first day of teaching dance, I had a panic attack and I had no idea what that was. And I, I vomited in front of all my students. And so that was like so embarrassing and like, like it ended up being kind of traumatizing. And so I've had panic attacks about ever since. Um, yeah. Of yeah. course. You have this instance, right, of something really embarrassing and, and yeah. really uncomfortable happening and then you get stuck on it, right? You, you're like, I will do anything to not experience that again. And I think it can happen like that. It can also happen where there isn't really an event. There's not really this moment, right, where you're terribly sick or you had the flu or you vomited and or you vomited in front of people. Like it can sort of just slowly, you know, grow and grow based off of panic. But it, it yeah. did kind of slowly build up after like, you know, getting food poisoning or getting the flu mm -hmm. over like several occasions in my life, which is like common for people. But that kind of stuff can build up. And then all of a sudden, it's like your subconscious little limbic system is now like has a little more control over you because you're, you're a little traumatized about being sick like that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I'm so glad that you mentioned, right, the restricting food, that that's such a big thing, right? You're trying to have that control. Like I don't want to feel nauseous. I don't want to potentially – 
vomit. So you try to do anything you can to make it so that that doesn't happen. Were there like other things that you started to notice yourself doing to try to control this? Um, well, I, uh, I started taking Zofran, which, um, which I had to fight to get, um, just a little commentary on like how hard it is to like be seen by a doctor in the state. Um, I had to like lie my way into getting Zofran, um, but I got it. And um, like they wouldn't prescribe it to me because I had panic disorder. They, pre- they prescribed it to me because I said I was having like nausea during like my cycles every month, um, yeah. which is like true. But anyway, once I got it, I became like very dependent on it. And mm-hmm. um, like that kind of became an, an issue because you don't, Zofran's a safe medication, but you don't want to take it if you don't actually like need it. Um, and in one, in one way, it actually really helped me. Um, like that's kind of like how I started making improvements and, um, being able to eat again, because I, I told, I completely stopped eating because, um, I was just so, I was kind of in this panic cycle. I was always nauseous and I couldn't keep food down. Um, so Zofran allowed it so I could start eating again. And that was like a very dangerous time in my life. I lost like 25 pounds in two to three months. So like that's where metaphobia can get, can get really dangerous where you're just so terrified of eating anything that you, you stop. Um, so taking Zofran kind of saved me because it, it made it my nausea, um, like it reduced my nausea enough that I could start eating again. But then I became like dependent on it. So I started taking it every day just to eat, even when I didn't need to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was another, I don't know. I guess that's another thing. Yeah. I'm so glad that you shared that. And th- those who don't know, Razofran is an anti-nausea medication. It's mm-hmm. like often prescribed for women who are pregnant or people on their cycles where you experience um, nausea and obviously many other scenarios. But like you're saying, you can develop such a dependence on it and start to really convince yourself, like, I, I need this. I need to use it all the time. And of course, it sort of does help in this short-term way. Like it helps, okay, I actually feel like I can eat or I have the desire to eat or I feel less nauseous. And But it totally creates this cycle, right, of I need this. I can't be without it. I have to have it. And that can be really scary, right? Yeah. I also like when I started leaving the house again and I when I first started doing exposures, I had to take it just to be relieved. Um, like the challenging part about exposures for me isn't so much being out of the house. It's being in a car that causes panic attacks, being in like a, a yep. closed environment, um, which is called, I think it's amo- amoxophobia is if you're being in a car. Um, yeah. People who have panic tend to have many different phobias. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's a multifaceted, very complicated disorder that in my opinion is largely misunderstood at like a clinical level um but anyway like being in a car would make me nauseous because you're in this closed in space and that would make me have panic attacks but if it took a zofran if i could control the nausea then i can handle the rest of what having a panic attack entails i can deal with having a racing heart i can deal with having to look at a billion things constantly searching for threats i can deal with the racing thoughts but nausea for me is like the most 
challenging part of dealing with a panic attack. And once I started taking that medication to deal with the nausea, then I could handle the panic a little bit better. And that's what allowed me to start doing exposures. Um, but the downside to that is being dependent on a medication that I don't need to take, um, you know. Yeah. I'm so glad that you talked about the driving anxiety part because I think it is that being stuck, you know, being trapped and you're in a car and you really feel like you don't have a whole lot of control. And what if you feel sick? What if you feel the nausea? What if you do vomit and you're in a car? Like I know just my brain struggling with the toilet anxiety, that was one of the hardest things for me because I was like, I do not want to be in a car, especially with other people. I could usually get by with like driving by myself, even though that was hard. But if you told me get in a car with other people, oh my gosh, I'd be like, no, because what if I feel sick? What if I have to go to the bathroom? And all the embarrassment, the shame that, oh my gosh, that was such a hard part of the journey. Yeah. Um, 100%. So I'm curious with, you know, like obviously developing the awareness, getting some support, seeing, okay, this is this is really distressing. This is something that's causing a lot of, you know, issues and obviously something that I need to figure out how I can, you know, navigate this. What what are some things that you started to do to like tackle all of it? I know it's not like tackling specifically the emetophobia because there it was all intertwined, but like what did you start to do? Um, well, this is where things get like really challenging to talk about, but I, um, man, I, I had to fight to get help. I, and it's, it is, it's like embarrassing for, I just, I think it's embarrassing that it is so hard to get help where I live. Um, and it's just, I don't know if it's because I live in the South I don't know if it's the particular area I'm in, but um, like I got, it was it was just so I I tried seeing um, a mental health professional and it was either an issue of like they're not taking patients or my insurance didn't cover it, um, but it like I really had to advocate for myself and it took months to finally get help. So it like it takes a lot of courage to you know, even recognize that you're in a tough spot and try and make changes to get better and realize that you, you need help to talk about a very embarrassing condition. Like I can't leave my house because I'm afraid of throwing up. And then, then you have to fight to get that help. And then that help doesn't help you. Um, so like I started seeing a psychiatrist who just, um, like, uh, when I got psych psychiatric services, I just started taking more drugs and then I became dependent on the drugs and then that became very, very bad. Um, and that's still something that I'm struggling with. I'm trying to get off of them all the way. Um, like I take like a very, very tiny dose of propanolol. I don't need to be on it anymore, but I have to microdose it because I can't handle being off of it. Um, so having more drugs pushed on me didn't fix the problem. It just made it worse. Um, like my dose, they increased my dose of Zofran and then they put me on like antidepressants or whatever. And um, medication is wonderful for some people who have panic. For me, it was an absolute nightmare. It just, it made things so much worse. And I think it's because um, like being on antidepressants, it takes like three weeks to get into your system. 
And during those three weeks, it can make your panic worse. It can make you more nauseous and have more anxiety. And I couldn't get through that threshold. And I started having like panic attacks that traumatized me. And then that, you know, that, that was when I was really agoraphobic. I wasn't leaving my, my room at all. Um, so it took realizing that medication is not going to help me. Um, and then I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy, but that wasn't super helpful either because every, like whenever I was able to access care, it was all about getting the panic attacks to stop, getting the nausea to stop, getting the emetophobia to stop. And um, so it was like, and none of it like worked. It was all about, you know, if you have panic, take a pill, get it to stop. If you have nausea, take a pill, get it to stop. Um, you know, if you have it, then breathe and relax until it stops. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it, that doesn't work is because it's like, it's a different kind of avoidance, you know, like, um, like it's your, I didn't start getting better until I realized that I needed to just let myself feel it and feel the nausea and feel the panic. And if I vomit, then I vomit, whatever, it's okay. Um, and that's when I started getting better. So that's, I stopped taking the medication. I weaned off it slowly and I started practicing a, a different kind of relationship with my panic, you know, and I, like, that was the key was just realizing that instead of taking a pill to get it stopped or doing all these breathing exercises to get it to stop, just let yourself feel it. Like if I'm going to have a panic attack, then just let it happen. But and and that's when I stopped cycling through panic attacks all the time and when they really like reduced them to just 20 minutes and I was done just by allowing myself to feel it and not trying to avoid it and not taking like a Zofran to avoid vomiting or like, you know, allowing myself like um, to eat foods that I was like afraid of that I'm not allergic to, you know, that's when I really started to make progress and get better. Um, the sad part of it is like, I kind of had to do it all by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really get help. Like there wasn't really a professional who helped me with this. So I don't want to sound like, I don't know. I want to encourage people to get help 100%. But in my case, I started getting better when I stopped seeing mental health professionals. But that's like, um, that's like a very regionalized issue that's specific to my situation. Um, so, um, and I also started getting help, like, by listening to your podcast and practicing some of the things that you were teaching. And the biggest thing for me was just allowing myself to feel, feel panic attacks and, and have them and, and feel the nausea and go out and do things anyway. And if it happens, then it, then it happens, you know? Yeah. And I know people listening are like, please tell me there's something else because <laughs> that does not sound like fun. But I think, you know, a big reason why we sort of get, you know, really consumed by anxiety and panic is because we're trying not to feel it. And it makes perfect sense, right? You feel something really uncomfortable and you're like, okay, what can I do to not feel this? That's like a normal reaction, right? And so you find all these ways to to not feel, but they're all very short term, like, you know, medications and the, the emergency type medications and restricting food and all these things. And yeah. they sort of seemingly help in the moment, but then you find, oh gosh, okay, now I'm really dependent on them. And it's not actually 
taking away the anxiety that I'm experiencing. It's just giving me some of that short-term relief. And so that's why it's so important, right? You have to actually look at the root, develop the awareness of like, okay, what is going on? What's happening? And how am I responding, you know, to the anxiety in the, in the moment and really changing that response? It's it's so tricky, especially with something like emetophobia, because you're so desperate for this thing to not happen. And the more you're trying to make it not happen, the more those feelings continue to pop up. Like it's very similar to panic. You know, the more you try to prevent yourself from panicking, the more you try to prevent yourself from feeling anxious or experiencing a symptom, there it is. Like anxiety is always there sort of as this protective mechanism. And unfortunately it pops up a lot when there's no reason for it to be popping up. But, you know, this trying not to feel is a huge, huge reason why a lot of people struggle. And you have to start to really in slow, manageable ways, right, allow yourself to actually feel without reaching for and doing things to try to get that short-term relief. But it's not easy, like you're saying. Yeah. It's so 100%. hard. It, um, yeah. And that's one thing I'm going through right now because, like, I'm still struggling with agoraphobia. I'm learning how to leave the house again and do things again. And it really has been like a step at a time. Um, one of the things I've learned with doing exposures is that I have to I have to do things that I really enjoy. If I do something that I don't enjoy and I have like panic really bad the whole time, then it like makes my agoraphobia worse. And then um, exposures get harder. But um, I've been doing them like things that I enjoy, they're close by, and then expanding that radius. Um, so like uh, like two months ago, I wasn't able to go about like 10 minutes away from my house. But this weekend, I went um, half an hour away to a New Year's Eve party, which I haven't been able to do a New Year's Eve party in three years. And um, and then like last night, I went, uh, I went half an hour away to like a, a light show. Um, with my family and that was like I haven't been able to do something like that with my family in three years either so like it's it's like one tiny step at a time and at the beginning of each exposure that's like more challenging usually I have panic for the first 15 to 20 minutes but once I kind of tell my brain like it's okay we're safe and I allow myself to feel that panic attack then then it usually ends and I enjoy the rest of the time being out so it used to be, I used to be afraid of doing exposures because I would be like, oh, I'm going to go and have panic the entire time and it's just going to be a miserable experience and I'm going to come home and never want to do it again. But through these slow exposures of expanding and doing the things that are more challenging every time, slowly, incrementally, um, I've learned that like it is enjoyable and I can go out and enjoy life again. It's just going to be really uncomfortable for the first couple of minutes. And if I do have panic, just, you know, allow myself to feel it. You know, that's been the key. It's just allow myself to have that panic attack and don't try and stop it. Don't take a pill to stop it. Don't take a Zofran to like stop the nausea or, you know, even like trying breathing exercises doesn't work for me because the idea of the breathing is like, I'm going to breathe and to, to get the panic to stop. And sometimes you just have to let yourself hyperventilate a little bit, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's the tricky part with all this stuff, right, is because you're, if you're using these things, these sort of, some of them can be really helpful and supportive, but if you're using these techniques and practices and all that to make the anxiety go away and you're really banking on, like, I'm going to do this and it's going to fix everything and I'm going to feel better, ooh, it creates this really harmful relationship between you and and these things because then it starts to associate them with the anxiety and So it's always helpful, right, to recognize, okay, maybe some of these things aren't as helpful as I think. And how can I do it? You know, what is helpful? And and just getting curious um, and developing that, you know, sense of trust within yourself of like, okay, breathing exercises aren't helpful, but let me try something else, see, you know, what is helpful for me. It's huge. Um, I know there's so much to – Emetophobia, right? And like you said, you're still working on some things. Like you're still working on putting some foods back in your diet and really trying to, you know, allow yourself to feel. Can we talk about that a little? Because I know this is really tough when you're struggling with emetophobia is actually allowing yourself to feel and pulling away from all these habits and behaviors that you've been doing for so long to try to keep yourself, you know, quote, safe. AKA not <laughs> from not puking, right? From not feeling that these uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. So I do have to say, I, I have been vegan my whole life. Um, and I've continued with that because I like to live a compassionate lifestyle. So there are some foods that I'm not going to add back in my diet at all. <laughs> um, because this is just the lifestyle that I live, which is challenging in North Carolina, the barbecue state. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've started doing again was like going out to eat at restaurants and people with emetophobia will be afraid to eat out because you don't know where the food is coming from. And you hear like news reports of like, you know, so-and-so restaurant chain shut down for whatever, salmonella poisoning, <laughs> listeria, whatever. And yeah. so that's, um, and then you'll never want to go out to eat again. So like you restrict going out to eat and then that restricts like your social life. Like you stop going out with people. Um, and um, and there's like where I live out here, there's like nothing to do out here but go out to eat. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, like so that's something that I'm getting used to is like going out somewhere, go to a restaurant and eat something and don't be afraid of it and enjoy yourself and have a good time. That was like really challenging to get, to get used to. Um, also with like grocery shopping was would be was challenging because I would just like not buy certain foods because I'd be afraid that it would be contaminated like lettuce. Um, lettuce is commonly contaminated um, because of how farming is done these days. Um, a lot of times like your leafy greens, there's like a chance you hear in the news all the time of like listeria infections and lettuce <laughs> because yeah. of, um, you know, farming close by to like where animals are farmed and then their their feces like contaminates the produce. So then you just won't buy produce for a while or like that kind of stuff sticks in your head. So then you just start like totally avoiding entire food groups. And then it becomes very challenging to get your proper nutrition. So a lot of that just um, like I, to overcome that, I, you know, I just, tried to be very like mindful of what I was buying and where I was buying from. But instead of like just totally avoiding it 100%, I would like, you know, just buy it anyway and wash it really well. Um, 
but like that's kind of how emetophobia can get really dangerous is where you're you're restricting yourself from getting your the nutrition you need because you're just so afraid that food is um you start seeing all food as a poisonous thing you know because you don't know where it came from um I don't know. I think the one good thing my metaphobia did for me was it got me into gardening. So I've um, <laughs> like, so I started growing my own food because I didn't trust where it came from. And I got really good at it last year. I um, I didn't go to the grocery store uh, to buy produce at all because I grew all of it myself. I'm very proud of myself for that. <laughs> Whoa, I love that. Heck, I started that too, and it's been one of the best like journeys I've ever gone on. I didn't think yeah. I'd ever be like a gardener, but it is so much fun. <laughs> and like you are, you're so proud of yourself. You're like, dang, I grew all this, and like now I have food, and I don't have to go to the grocery store and buy all of this stuff that is like outrageously expensive. <laughs> yeah, but also like. I don't, I've also learned that it's it's okay to buy food from the grocery store. You yeah. can trust it, just wash it. Like, um, so that's another like hurdle I had to get over was to just to start trusting food again. And and a, actually, a lot of that came from I I did get sick with it wasn't food poisoning, but I got sick with like a, a stomach virus. And um, something about that experience. <laughs> helped me with my emetophobia a lot like I after that I started trusting food better again because I kind of learned the difference between like what it feels like to be nauseous with panic and then what it feels like to be nauseous because you're actually sick um and they're two different feelings one like when you're nauseous with panic I usually don't have stomach pain with it so that helps me recognize like this is just a panic attack I don't need to cancel all my plans today because I'm not sick because that's what I would do. I would get panic panic attacks and get nauseous and then cancel all my plans and um, not leave the house at all because I thought that I was like genuinely sick with something. And I did that a lot. And, and I would um, like, and I'd also like that those were days where I wouldn't eat because I thought that I had like a stomach virus or something. Um, but there was nothing wrong with me. And this would go on for like weeks and I would just not leave the house or see anybody because I was totally convinced that I was severely sick. Um, and I actually was able to go to the doctor and they would be like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, cause I thought I had like a stomach ulcer and whatever. So I wasn't able to eat anything. And then it turns out it was just panic. When I actually got sick with like a stomach virus that taught me that like, Oh, it's just like a completely different feeling. It's like stomach pain and whatever. And so learning the difference between the two allowed me to, be less afraid of it, I guess, and recognizing like when it's nausea that's just panic related, that's something I can handle. So that's also allowed me to like start gro- going to the grocery store again and like start trusting food again. And you know, I'm so glad that you said that though, because I think a lot of people right have those moments where they're like, "Is this just anxiety, or like, am I actually sick?" and like yeah. you said, you know the feelings, you know like the anxious feelings so well. And if you're asking yourself this question, right, I always say, is this anxiety or am I actually sick? Chances are it's anxiety. <laughs> like if you're playing that game of like, is it anxiety? Chances are it is. That sounds a whole lot like anxiety, right? But yeah. being able to differentiate and see like, oh yeah, this this is different than the anxious feelings, like that that's big. Yeah, and recognizing – Learning how to recognize panic attacks um, was a huge part of getting better 
because they're very your brain is very good at tricking you into thinking that something is terribly wrong when it isn't you know so panic attacks can really convince you that there's something wrong with you when really you're totally safe and you're okay Oh, yeah, that's like what they do, right? Always convincing you that you're in danger, that you need to do something about it. And that's the tricky part is then you find yourself constantly doing and that doing creates even more anxious feelings. And that's that's that loop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am curious, what why did you join Panic to Peace? Like, and, and what the heck did you get from it? Because it's like it's so interesting to me like we were talking about people who join the program and and struggling with something really specific like emetophobia like what 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 about the program that you're like I'm gonna give this a shot um well because you really know and understand panic disorder very well and unfortunately the professionals I've seen at I don't really think they understand it um like I've been with a therapist before and having to explain to them what um, what the amygdala was. So um, I was really attracted to your program because these you your podcast, like everybody on your podcast knows what panic is. <laughs> and and like that was huge. Um, and I have made so much progress. I've made more progress in the couple weeks of taking panic to peace than I did in the three years of getting professional help. Um, like for three years of getting professional help, I didn't leave my house. But over the past couple of weeks, I've left my house several times and even like had a semi, like pretty much gone back to a normal life. Um, I'm still working on exposures, but I think like that was what attracted me the most and it helped me the most is like being around people and listening to people who have panic disorder and who, who understand it. Um, yeah. And the yeah. biggest thing that helped was um, all of the tips and tricks that I've learned from mental health professionals was like how, you know, how to avoid panic, do this breathing exercise to avoid panic, um, you know, and take these pills to avoid having panic attacks. Um, also like I, like in cognitive behavioral therapy, it can be helpful. That's all about like connecting your past traumas to, uh, your who you are now and that's very healing and it's very important work but for people with panic disorder while we need to do that work we also need help learning how to deal with our panic attacks so in all of my years of like being in cognitive behavioral therapy I would be like oh well I know I'm having this panic attack because this trigger is from this trauma I had when I was eight years old but that's not helping at all like knowing where this is coming from is not helping me I'm like, because I have not been taught or trained um, or learned how to deal with my panic. I've only been taught how to avoid it. Um, mm. So that has been the most helpful thing. Like, avoidance behavior is is so, um, it's it's such a big part of having panic disorder, but it's it's such, like, a nasty cycle because, like, it that's what, that's what gets you so stuck is, is avoiding panic and then avoiding your life and avoiding your friends. And all of a sudden you're not living your life at all, but you, you know, you're avoiding it because you're so terrified of having panic. So that's what the class helped me with so much is recognizing that everything I'm doing is, is a part of this avoidance behavior that I have. And that the more, well, if you avoid like a panic, panic in the meantime, like, 
it might make you feel better, but you suffer so much more in the long run. Like I haven't been able to live my life in like three years. I, the only thing, like I'm very proud, I attended an online graduate school and I got a master's degree. So like, that's huge. I'm very proud of myself for that. But other than that, like I haven't, I've lost all of my friends and all of my relationships and I have stopped living my life because of this avoidance behavior. And um, it was like during class that I, started getting better and started being able to like see make relationships with people again and live my life again because I'm finally learning how to handle panic attacks and how to stop avoiding everything mm. yeah we don't avoid yeah. and panic to peace <laughs> we don't avoid feelings we don't avoid doing the things like and that's the biggest thing right I think we hear so much about exposures and you have to face the things. And yes, all of that's true. But the big piece in all of it is you have to stop avoid trying to avoid feeling because you can't. It's really yeah. something that you can't do. And you have to understand like how to actually feel. And there are things that can be really helpful in helping you to do that in a in a healthy feel good way and not like a pressurized forceful like you just gotta get out there and face the fear and like let yourself feel the horrible stuff <laughs> but I am just so happy to hear Scarlett how yeah. helpful it's been but also how much you know unfortunately how much ownership you've had to take and accountability and really doing a lot of this on your own and i we have so much work to do in the mental health space, especially in the United States. I know in many other places too, but it's it's just amazing to see somebody like you who has really said, you know what, I, I'm i going to take ownership and I'm going to figure this out. And you've done such an amazing job. And I am just really proud of you for all the work you've done and for coming on and being so vulnerable and talking about something that can be really tough to talk about. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I will have more discussions on emetophobia, I promise. I know all of this is intertwined with anxiety, panic. So we will be having more discussions about this. But Scarlett, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. I'm really happy to be here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.